Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I am also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that with us today is John Baldoni. Uh, John is an internationally recognized leadership consultant, coach, and author of 14 books that have been translated into 10 languages. In 2018, Inc. named John a top 100 speaker, and Trust Across America honored him with its Lifetime Achievement Award for, for Trust. In 2019, Global Gurus ranked him number nine on its top list of top 30 global leadership experts, a list he's been on since 20, uh, sorry, since 2007. As a highly sought-after executive coach and leadership educator, he's had the privilege of working with senior leaders in virtually every industry from healthcare to real estate, packaged goods to automobiles, and finance and technology. So today in our session, we're going to talk about how successful business people can usually point to previous bosses or mentors who help shape their careers by sharing their expertise as well as their wisdom. These lessons aren't held in a classroom, but in offices, hallways, cubicles, lunchrooms, and wherever employees gather. The lessons revolve around what's happening in the business as well as what's what's necessary to learn in order to become more effective. For C-level executives, managers, as well as employees and other stakeholders, following the principles in grace will result in stronger, more cohesive teams, which make for stronger companies overall. So, John, welcome. And let's start with what you're talking about with grace. Tell us about your book. Thank you, Maureen. I appreciate that warm welcome. Grace is the catalyst for the greater good. So what do I mean by that? From a leadership perspective, um, leaders bring people together for common cause. And good leaders are driven by purpose. And purpose is a topic that I've explored in a couple of books. And purpose from purpose comes our, our vision, our sense of becoming. It sparks our mission, which is our doing and or building what we want to accomplish. And um, you can achieve your vision and mission with a straight ahead, devil may care, achieve in spite of people attitude if you want to. Um, 
I don't know that you create a sustainable enterprise that way. And that's where grace comes in. Grace becomes our how. Grace uh, nurtures our value proposition, what we hold dear and what we want to accomplish. So when I say that grace is the catalyst for a greater good, I am borrowing a definition that comes to us from uh, faith. Uh, and basically, the concept of grace is inherent in uh, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, you name it. And even more fundamentally, we are probably wired for grace. And why do I say that? There's something called our DNA, something in our DNA, which is uh, uh, shorthand, they call it the altruism gene, which is our predisposition to care for people close to us. So in a way, grace is, we're wired for grace. The challenge is, is that we don't often, we don't always practice it. And so my idea was to talk about the power of grace and how we can make it work in our lives and in our leadership. Great. Thank you very much for for giving us a thorough grounding in what grace is. So as you look at some of the leaders you've worked with, and obviously you've been doing this for quite some time with a broad range of leaders, do you find that a lot of leaders are open to the concept of grace, or are they still living in some of the older command and control? And one of the reasons I ask this is many of us have been talking about spirituality and leadership and and new ways of being as leaders, and yet Many of my clients then go back to work and they still, because of the nature of their organizations, still behave in the way they did 20 years ago because that's what's expected of them. Um, I don't think command and control is ex- is precludes grace. Uh, command okay. and control is simply a, a model of leadership that has been with us since time immemorial. It's um, I can think of many top-down leaders who would act with grace, one of whom would have been George Marshall, general of the army, and he commanded uh, our allied forces in the Second World War. He was a kind and gracious man and thought uh, positively of people. So it's grace exists outside of an organizational structure. It is a willingness to create conditions that better the whole, which is really what leadership is all about. Leadership is for the whole, not the self. So, but in this um, sense of do I find leaders acting with grace? Yes, all of the time. And that's why I wrote this book. My book is packed with stories of people who act with grace. And I think sometimes when you're describing it is that an executive I've worked with, his name is Scott Moorhead, and Scott is a very successful entrepreneur. Um, He runs TCC, which is a global cellular company uh, headquartered in Indianapolis, um, uh, Indiana. And Scott talks about a concept called permission to care, and that's how he runs his business, and it's retail-oriented. But when you give managers a permission to care for their employees, a per- per- permission to care for their, um, uh, their community, good things happen. But sometimes we're so busy and bat- wrapped up in what we do that we 
don't think about uh, something other than our immediate objective. Now, management is not about um, um, philanthropy by any means, but there are opportunities, if you look at it through the leadership lens, of creating the greater good. And grace, and it's, you know, as I spoke of it, is a catalyst for the greater good. It's rooted in making a connection between you and another person, being available to them or being available to your team to make, uh, to improve the situation or simply be there with them. So can you give us some more examples? I, I love the idea of acting with grace, and it, it's a term I use often. So, so I really resonate with this, and I would just love for our listeners to hear a few more examples of how you've seen it and what conditions in an organization uh, make it more likely. Well, I think it's likely when you have a disposition to do it. Um, And as I talked about the example of Scott doing things, uh, Scott Moorhead making this, um, let me switch gears a little bit. And there's a man who's been in the news of late, and his name is John Feal, F-E-A-L. John was an excavation contractor working on the pile in 9-11 when a three-ton beam fell on him and... um, injured him severely as as a matter of fact he had to he lost part or lost his foot um you know him now because often um he has been a relentless advocate for the health benefits of those who have suffered adversely from war, from the carcinogens uh that were exposed they were exposed to on working on the rub uh, on the rubble uh of 911 and you often see him in senate excuse me in congressional hearings he's often the gentleman seated next to John Stewart and um, John has a philosophy of uh, create, you know, he had a, a, a suffered a serious injury, but he didn't let that stop him from doing something better for his fellow man, um, his fellow, you know, uh, those who he had worked with on the on the pile. So there's a guy who took uh, something that happened to him very badly and turned it into a positive situation. Um, and that's a, I like to think of that as an example. Another one would be, um, Fred Rogers. Um, and I I challenge you this and I challenge the listeners, say the name Fred Rogers to someone and, and dollars to donuts, their face will just light up. And, uh, Fred was an ordained minister, but his ministry was television, specifically young children. And he saw, took it upon himself to create a greater good for educational television, if you will. And while he has a very soft and inviting persona, um, he was also a very much a relentless advocate for children and for public television, as uh, we know from his congressional tele, uh, uh, I'm sorry, congressional tele, uh, testimony when he advocated for these things. So, I mean, and then throughout the book, there's lots of examples of people who are everyday moments of kindness. Um, um, or big moments. Um, uh, one that I profile uh, a lot is Father Greg Boyle, who created, uh, who's in South, East Los Angeles, East LA, um, which is predominantly Hispanic uh, neighborhood. And uh, he was assigned to a poor parish. Uh, he's a Jesuit priest. And um, he noticed that uh, one of the problems that led to gangs um, was a lack of employment. 
And so he set it about himself to create this program now called Homeboy Industries, which is about giving ex-gang members jobs. And um, Father Boyle is very much a person of grace. If you see him, he's kind of like a L.A. version of Santa Claus. He has a little bit of rotundity to him, and he has a flow. He has a, a neatly trimmed white beard, so that's why he says L.A. version of uh, of Santa Claus. But his whole life is about creating grace, putting grace to work for the community. And Father Boyle has this concept of, uh, and he writes. He's a very eloquent writer, and his book called Barking at the Choir. Um, he had the subtitle of it is about radical kinship. And kinship is that connection that occurs from one person to another. And it is most often engendered when the one person or the other connects on the spirit of service to the other. And that's something I love the way he has taken that concept and made it work in a community on a one-on-one basis as well as, well as a community wide. So, so it seems like a really important concept. What inspired you to write a book? Having written, I know it takes an, an amazing amount of time and energy to publish something, and yet this was obviously something of deep importance to you. Well, I have always been intrigued with the notion of grace, and part of it, grace, that has appealed to me, and it's I think it's central to, or it's included in my book, and it's the sense of grace and the sense of beauty. Um, and we see fluidity in motion. We see it with a ballet dancer or an athlete. Um, they have a, a sense of grace about them, just the way they walk or the way they carry themselves, their comportment. If you look a little more deeply into that, I think that's what grace does. While an athlete is physically centered and also emotionally because you would not be able to perform at your best were you not able that uh, if you think of grace as facilitating a kind of centeredness which is rooted in self self-awareness that's what intrigues me because so much so often leaders and surveys show this that leaders senior leaders are often very uh, unself-aware and i don't think that's i think what surveys show is not that they're um, that lack of self-awareness doesn't come from, uh, it comes from a lack of introspection, which is due to the fact that they feel compelled and they're pushed and pulled in 13 different directions at the same time. So if they're going to short one thing in their lives, it will be themselves. And that's, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for the individual and it's not healthy for the people that they lead. So therefore, um, grace becomes, if you think of it as a centeredness, it facilitates your self-awareness. And only when you're self-aware, both your strengths as well as your shortcomings, and if you're like me, my shortcomings out uh, way my uh, my strengths. Um, you leverage that. You surround yourself with people who complement um, what you don't do well or what you could do better. And grace facilitates that. So that's probably why. And also this concept of grace. We live now in times of disharmony. There's a lot of division. But at the same time, I am someone who firmly believes in what Abraham Lincoln said in his first inaugural 
or um, about the better angels of our nature. I think we're predisposed to that, although sometimes the better angels can be drowned out by demons um, who get a little bit boisterous and loud. So that's why I wrote Grace. Thank you very much. As we think about, for those of us who happen to be in the U.S. right now, uh, we continue to have mass shootings and the idea of our better angels and finding ways to live in harmony with each other and demonstrate grace with people who are like us, easy, people who are different than us, whether it's uh, color, gender, economic differences, different political points of view, it it seems like grace is one of the primary tools that will bring us back into harmony. So I really appreciate the importance of your book. And as we go on break, I invite our listeners to think about where are you most in need of grace in your life, in your work, uh, in your families, and in your communities? We'll be right back with John and Maureen, and we're talking about the his book called Grace and the concept of grace in our, in our leadership roles, but also in our lives. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. You're with Maureen and John, and we are talking about John's book about grace. So as we enter the second segment in your book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to to a Better Us, you write about looking for ways to be kind to others without expecting anything in return. In some organizations, that is probably the nature. In others, people are operating more under an approach of quid pro quo. Uh, Can you elaborate on how and why this can be effective, especially in organizations where it is counter to the culture? Well, it, it, on a transactional basis, uh, it comes down to reciprocity. If I do something for you, you'll do something for me. A person of grace doesn't think of payback. He or she acts upon the giving. Uh, the philosophy, and I talk about in a book that Adam Grant um, advocates in his book, Give and Take. We know the givers. Those are people who are always out there giving of themselves. And as I talked earlier, I get back to this concept. They are centered individuals. They know themselves and what they can do. We know what takers are. Those are the ones who are always looking to for an angle, always trying to get something for free without working for it. Um, and, um, so the sense of reciprocity in kindness is that we can all help one another. And Dr. Wayne Baker, um, who is a professor at the University of Michigan, Ross School of Business, um, has done a lot of work in this area. And I quote, uh, I interviewed, um, uh, Wayne, uh, for the book. And um, he has research that shows when organizations actually foster this sense of reciprocity, um, they, imp- they do better and improves productivity. It also improves level of engagement. And, hey, people like working with those that they respect and those they can rely on for support. So that's – and kindness, um, you, we're all familiar with the term uh, random acts of kindness. Well, when grace is involved, it's actually an intended act of kind, kindness. And I talk about something called the culture of service, which is that how can I be a better colleague to you? How can I help you do your job better? That's what a manager's job is, but also colleagues can get uh, involved in that. So how does my job fac- uh, facilitate your uh, your ability to do your job better? Uh, in other words, I'm there to support you. I'm there to teach you if necessary. I'm there to learn from you if necessary. I'm there to cooperate and ultimately we will collaborate if things um, um, so present themselves. So being a better colleague is being there in whatever you define there as, being accessible, available, and willing to work together. Well, and certainly those descriptions do epitomize the kind of boss I would like, the kind of colleagues I would like, the the kind of clients I would like, or or business partners. So it seems like a no-brainer, and yet it is not typical in many organizational cultures. Um, 
I think it's more typical than you think it is. And I also think, because I think maybe it's not always on the surface, but it's there in some form. And when shown, when revealed, it can open up opportunities. As a matter of fact, and I talk about the work of uh, Wayne Baker, he's created an organization called Givitas, which is uh, uh, online, um, I'm sorry, accessible online, which facilitates um, the reciprocity that I had described. And in that way, it, it becomes a mechanism for helping people share their good things with one another. So I think it's there. And here's the point. When we, we, if you think of grace, you want to be the example you want others to be. So if your boss is not what you want. Well, you act the way that you become the the center of grace, if you will. You be the the good example. You be the coordinator, the collaborator, the catalyst for your team. You be the team play, player. You be the support person. You be the cheerleader. You be the um, uh, general impetus for positive change. So when that happens, um, it kind of facilitates things, and that becomes grace at work, and our team or our workplace becomes just that much better to work for. And, you know, we know this in, in, intrinsically. How often when we're in a good team uh, and one person leaves and the whole dynamic changes. Why? Because that person who left was the uh, I don't know, the energizer bunny or the catalyst for the good things. He or she made the running of the team better. And and that when that happens, others on the team need to step forward and be what that other individual was for the team. Yeah, I can think as you say that I have a client who recently changed organizations and I continue to consult with that the organization, he was absolutely the embodiment of grace and his departure left a gap and they are now trying to figure out how to feel, fill the hole that was kind of the soul of the organization to, I don't know that that's the right word, but you know, the work gets done by his replacement, but the, but the sense of cohesion has not yet come back together. Right. Uh, now, on the flip side, when you take out a, a per- person who's uh, taking away from the team, who is a taker, when that person leaves, almost automatically the morale of the organization improves. So, um, um, so that's the that's the that's the other side. Well, and we see that again all the time. And if I think of people who most leaders take too long to to ask someone to exit and th- there is damage to the organization as the the person who is negative or acting without grace continues to behave badly and impact their colleagues Great. absolutely um now, did you want me to run through what um, grace means in the sense of I turned the, the word itself into an acronym? So. Yes, please do. And then let's talk about which aspects. I understand that all are important, but if you have a most important aspect, I would love to hear that as well. 
Well, G is generosity and open-heartedness towards others. R is respect, looking at people of dignity, regarding them as as contributors. Uh, A is action. That's what leaders do. Uh, they, um, they see an opportunity or they see a challenge, they embrace it, and they seek to make things better. C is compassion, uh, which is love and concern for others. And it's love of difference, too. Uh, reaching out, as you had talked about earlier, of people different from ourselves. Why? Because that diversity is what makes us stronger. We can learn from that. Um, and E is energy. It's important for leaders to keep themselves energized, but at the same time, same time they are the catalysts for the organization to um, achieve its goals. Now, if you want to know which is most important, as far as importance, yes, they're all important, but maybe from a human relations standpoint, it's compassion because it's caring for other people. It's looking at that ability to look at someone as assume the better best of them before you make a judgment. And that's very easy to say, but so often we kind of get caught up in our own prejudices in our minds and we think we know someone and so we kind of peg them. It's almost like um, going into a supermarket and we're looking for a, a particular brand of soup and we isolate, we just look for that one brand and we don't see anything else, which is fine for being in a supermarket, but not so well when it, we're getting dealing with people. And so compassion, I think, is important. But when it comes to grace and it comes to the sense of leadership, the A for action is important because leaders mobilize the team to achieve. It's, it's a matter of thinking about what's doing, but you have to act for it because without the leader acting, very little will happen. So it, so it sounds like the combination of putting compassion in action. I would say, though, yes, that's a good way of doing it because it's sort of an open heartedness, but driven with the correct purpose in mind. So, again, if we earlier talked about purpose, our beat drums are how. Okay. So can you give maybe an example, a different example? I assume your book is full of examples that are, are beautifully illustrate each of these points. Uh, um, sure. Um, I think um, generosity would be, if we think it from a leadership standpoint, let's take the example of Admiral Stockwell. Um, Admiral Stockwell was in the Hanoi Hilton along with John McCain for seven years, I believe. And when he came out, he studied Stoic philosophy and he understood what leadership was. And he talked about what good leaders do is they share power. Why? Because it's a science, it's a way of, um, pushing decision-making other ways, but it's also a way of nurturing and developing the team. When it comes to respect, um, I like an example um, from sports, and it's certainly, I'm based in Michigan, and so one of the legendary hockey players of all time was Gordie Howe, maybe the greatest player of his generation, certainly. And when he passed, which was a few years ago, another great player, Wayne Gretzky, and Gordie was his idol, said, 
that as great a player as Gordy was, he was an even better human being. And a story that is about um, he was a good dad and raised his kids without a sense of entitlement. So they all had to make their own way in life um, with good parenting, put it that way. But um, my favorite story about Gordy is, is that being a sports figure, he was on what's now then called the rubber chicken circuit. And very often Gordy would get to a, a an event a little bit early and he would see people setting up. So what would Gordy do? He'd head him. He'd help them pitch in and set up the chairs and tables. And he's the, he's the, uh, the uh, man of the hour, and here he is doing the manual labor to make the event a success. That's the kind of person um, that respects other individuals. Um, when it comes to action, I like the example of Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha. She is a pediatrician. Um, and um, she was working in Flint, Michigan, and she noticed that her young patients were manifesting level, high levels of lead in their blood, and lead is deadly for children uh, in a sense that it, it, its cognitive impairment is serious. So no one seemed to be taking responsibility or doing anything for this, so um, Dr. Mona, as she's called, took it upon herself to mobilize and call attention to the water crisis and eventually has been um, at least uh, uh, improved. So she was the one that blew the whistle. And she was uh, a physician but used her activist approach to make things happen. Um, when it comes to compassion, I mentioned John Field earlier. Um, you know, you know, seeing, uh, taking a bad circumstance and turning it on to uh, best. Um, another example, not in my book, but one I've talked about many, many times in energy is a woman also in Detroit, Eleanor Gersitis, who's now passed away, but she created an organization called Focus Hope. And Eleanor was one of the most energetic people you'll ever meet. She was full of compassion, but very much an activist and always trying to um, work for the betterment of the community. And um, I always like to say she was a diminutive woman, a grandmotherly type and all that that it means. But if she shook your hand, it was like shaking hands with a steel worker. And um, she was uh, quite a formidable person, but a great person of energy. And that energy was directed toward creating better things for all of us. Thank you so much. I think that the examples really help us illustrate and will give us some thoughts to put into action. So as we go into break, I encourage our listeners to think about how are you putting compassion, and I would say the combination of compassion and wisdom into action. So smart compassion, not not overly nice at the expense of being effective and and John, I realize you weren't saying that. I'm, I'm speaking to what I assume people may be thinking about in the background. So how are you as listeners putting compassion into action wisely? We'll be right back, John and Maureen, and we're talking about John's book, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to focus on the big picture. But a growing business requires compliance, regulations, tax issues, and more. Listen to Candy Messer and Biz Help for You. Our program takes the guesswork out of the equation in order to give you the answers and peace of mind. From payroll to labor laws to entrepreneurial tips, you'll find something new with each week's episode. Biz Help for You can be heard every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. John, you write that grace leads to higher levels of trust, and you have significant recognition in the space of doing work around trust. So what is it about the principles of grace that facilitate trust? Well, very little can succeed in an organization without a degree of trust between colleagues or between uh, boss and employee. And one of the people I interviewed for the book was um, Stephen M. R. Covey, son of Stephen Covey, and Stephen has done. Stephen M. R. has done a lot of work uh, in the field of trust and wrote maybe maybe the seminal top, top uh, book, business book certainly on trust called Speed of Trust, and trust is that. Um, behavior that enables all of us to connect more with one another. Grace then uh, fuels trust because it gives us that open-heartedness. You can't trust someone unless you respect them. If you take the uh, 
idea of of uh, grace, it opens our heart so that we'll look at the positive side of another instead of being prejudicial toward that individual, something I talked about further. So that, in that sense, grace facilitates trust and makes it more accessible. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not something that trust is not uh, a given. It, it has to be earned and it has to be proven through our example regularly, daily. Uh, it's it's like a bank account that you can or a, uh, um, I'm sorry a retirement account that you contribute to on a regular basis so that the tr- it trust grows it becomes stronger and it helps nurture the organization and grace facilitates that nurturing why because it opens up people's uh, disposition to thinking more positively of others. Great. And again, I, I think of the examples you gave, and certainly most of us want to work with people who behave in those ways. So you talk about um, the importance of mentoring when leading with grace. Can you say a little bit more about that? Mentoring is very important. Um, Sometimes uh, mentoring is, I like to think, the investment of self in the development of another. In mentoring, it's usually the relationship is disinterested. And what I mean by that, the mentor does not directly benefit from the accomplishments of the person, the protege, that person being mentored. So it's a fully given and open. And why someone would enter mentor, be a mentor, is because they have an an open mind and they are people of grace. They want to share what they know and their experience with another person. So I think that's why it is. And why I wrote about it is um, mentorship is very, uh, um, I have a lot of experience or some experience working in the field of academic medicine. And in that field, you'll find it's very uh, robust where Senior physicians or senior healthcare providers nurture their next generation along through mentorship, and I, I've seen it at work in that way. So it, but it's not it's not confined to the academia by any means. Um, but it's um, we can see it in any field. But it's that investment in another because you see that person. Um, has a, a potential to grow, and you feel that you can help that person grow and develop. So, so give us a little bit more in academic medicine. How does that? How does mentoring play out in the field, and how do those both being? I understand being mentored, you get the benefit of learning. How is it structured in that space? where um, mentoring serves also the person doing the mentoring? Well, I don't know if it, and it's a, um, I don't know that I would express it that way. I think okay. that the um, benefit is, is more intrinsic. You feel you've helped someone, so you feel good, and then you can take pride in their accomplishment, kind of like a, a parent. But of course, all accomplishments um, are, are done by the person doing it. And 
most mentors have all been mentored by someone else who did the same for us, for them. So in a sense, mentorship becomes a kind of pay it forward, if you will. Uh, I've been blessed, so I'm going to share my blessing or I'm going to share our, my grace with someone else. Mm-hmm. And grace uh, is often is considered as grace is given with no strings attached. It's what you do with it. So in a very explicit sense, uh, mentorship is a product of grace. So, Got it. Thank you. I'm just thinking uh, I certainly have benefited from mentors who were very gracious in giving their time and wisdom I've also worked in organizations that had formal mentoring programs where it was actually built into the performance appraisal, that if if you were in an X role, you were expected to mentor two up-and-coming leaders or uh, protégés. That's so, terrific. So that's, that's terrific. So um, I've never heard of that. I've um, uh, I know of some organizations that do that, but I've never heard it as a requirement. So that's something special. Thank you. It, it, and it wasn't me that created it, but it was certainly of huge benefit. I know a lot of people will say formal programs don't work. It's only informal. But in this case, I think it was a large consulting firm wanting to retain their their female staff. And they had both male and female mentors, and you could select based on any number of criteria, whether it was a professional skill or experience, or maybe you had a family and you were navigating travel, whatever the criteria was, I found it to be amazingly beneficial. And there was, I'm sure, an intrinsic benefit, at least for me when I was doing the mentoring, but that the organization built also, the structure around it made it easier for people to engage in the process. Right. And you raise something which is very important. And while grace is we receive it and we give it outward, it's also linked to the concept of gratitude. And we are thankful for our blessings, but we really can't be thankful unless we're thankful to ourselves. So there's the external component of gratitude, which is my giving to someone else, but it's also, do I feel good about myself? And only when we feel good about ourselves, or at least that we have something worthy to offer, can we be so, show gratitude toward ourselves? And I think it's important to recognize that while each of us is a flawed human being, we have something to offer. We can make a positive con- contribution. So grace if you will, becomes that um, enabler to think, enable us to think more positively about our own selves. So, I love the idea that we would extend grace both to other people around us and to ourselves because we all have moments where we are quick, or at least I have moments where I am quick to find my own fault. And Sorry, go ahead. Absolutely. And inherent in this, and I talk about it in my book, is that uh, grace is fundamental to mercy. And we live in a very unmerciful culture right now. Um, We are very quick to, um, to tear down 
people, um, and that can be very dangerous. And and if, you know, and and um, certainly with our quote anti-social media, um, we can do harm, particularly to young people who don't yet have the skill, the coping skills. And so grace facilitates mercy, and from mercy comes forgiveness, that ability to, um, uh, if you will. Uh, not expect retribution when you have been wronged. Um, it's okay to expect it, but not often. And we um, often see the moments of tragedy uh, when people who've been grievously uh, harmed um, bear no animus toward the perpetrator. Um, and that's remarkable. I don't know where that comes from. Well, I know where that comes from. That comes from grace. And in that sense, that in that sense, that grace becomes an unquantifiable factor, but um, it enables us to let go. Because when we're consumed with something negative, it's a weight that we carry around with us. Um, and it's very easy f- uh, for an outsider to say, oh, we'll just let go of this transgression. Uh, but I know from my own example, if I get poor customer service, I'm going to bear a grudge toward that poor customer service person. How silly can I be? Because uh, it's not really a big deal. But uh, better to think of the positive and to sort of let things go. Um, and so and grace facilitates both mercy and forgiveness. You know, as you say, poor customer service, one of the things, I, I happen to be a fast driver, and people who get in my way are, are frustrating to me, especially if I have hours on the road. Um, and it's it seems important to me to be able to step back and say, I wonder what's going on in that person's day, whether they're driving slowly or poor customer service. I got an email this morning from someone that seemed out of character and in my better moments, I can sh- show compassion to them, which then bounces back, and I don't feel angry. But it's, I wonder what happened that caused that person to react in a way different than I would have anticipated. That's a very good thought, and that's where mercy comes involved. You know, um, we do sometimes act out of character because something is going wrong. It could be as simple, we got up on the wrong side of the bed and something went wrong, and it's something trivial, and so we add, you know, send out something stupid via email, or we have been wronged, or we have a serious issue at home. We are worried about a child or an elder or something. Something more, you know, challenging. Maybe we're fighting a demon internally, uh, an addiction, if you will. And so we will act out of character. We humans are very frail creatures, and while we are responsible for our own actions, um, sometimes things mount up on us, and so we aren't always at our best. Mercy gives us that ability to look more at the positive and say, Maureen, this is out of character for you, and I'm not going to grind your face in it. We'll just move forward. Great. So we've stepped into some of the practical steps that we can take, and I really want our listeners to be able to take away some specific things that they can put into practice. You just started with mercy and showing mercy to ourselves and others, and you've also talked about gratitude, thinking about what I do well, as well as being grateful for others. What are a few more 
practical takeaways for our listeners? I think reflection. Um, Leaders are very busy and they need to take time to sit back and gain perspective on what's going on. Set up a regular reflection process and you could do it with a trusted advisor. And in that sense, reflection becomes the back and forth. Uh, But focus on a specific topic. But it's all important for all of us to, to take stock of where we are and do it on a regular basis. Um, maintain composure when things get dicey and things get hot. You know, in the military, they have this thing when you can tell a good commander because when things get really tight, his or her voice goes down and they speak more slowly, Just the, which is a counterintuitive because when things are uh, uh, getting dicey, we tend to speak more quickly and our voice raises, rises. So, you know, maintain composure. And composure is very important in a leader. Um, It's okay to be irritated at situations, but leaders really can't afford to lash out at an individual. They can can lash out at a behavior, but they've got to keep their cool because if they don't keep their cool, then the organization loses its equilibrium. And then people go kind of flying off in multiple directions. So composure is important. I think another one, and it's particularly important for our time, right now is avoid the zero-sum game. In other words, I win, you lose. That might work for a casino, but it's not a way to give your life. We like to say the win-win proposition. Certainly in a, in a sustainable relationship with a customer or a colleague or a, uh, even a competitor, um, give a little, get a little, back and forth. Reciprocity, if you will. Um, that forms, but going for the I win, you lose, um, that's a z- that is a zero-sum game, and it's, it, it's destructive. Um, John? Uh, Let's give one last one because we're coming to the end of this segment. I think most important is take joy in life. Um, Embrace what you do and make it work for you and others. Thank you. What a wonderful way to end. So why don't you give our listeners a way to contact you, restate your book? Uh, How would they reach out to you? And I'm assuming books available on Amazon and, and Barnes & Noble and others. All of those and your local bookstore, too. You can certainly order it from them if they don't have it in stock. But it's called Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us. And I think the better us is the operative thing because it's not just about me, the leader, but it's about creating a better us. So you can go to my website, which is johnbaldoni.com. I also have a book site, so called gracethebook.com. But, um, and um, if anybody, and I'm also on Twitter and LinkedIn, so I welcome anyone to follow me there. And I write regularly for Forbes.com and uh, contribute uh, often to smartbrief.com as well. So my name's out there, uh, if you, and um, I hope that people will um, take um, some learning and grace. And I love the word, how you linked it to wisdom, because grace facilitates wisdom. So thank you for that thought, Maureen, and thank you for allowing me to be on your program. 
Thank you so much, John. So just for our listeners to reiterate, great leaders set the right example by putting people, others first, treating them with dignity, showing compassion, being humble, and challenging them, themselves and others to work for the greater good. As such, they must exemplify behaviors that encourage followership. Chief among them is setting the right example that is leading with grace. So for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I trust that you heard some specifics that you can put into practice to help you lead with more grace, whether you're a formal leader or an informal leader. We'd love your feedback. Please com- uh, please reach out to me at either info at innovateleader.com, on LinkedIn, Maureen Metcalf, or on Facebook, Innovating Leadership. Thank you, and we hope you join us again soon. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.